Blog Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Faces of TBI podcast series, the number one podcast for brain injury and concussion resources. I am Amy Zellmer, founder of FacesofTBI.com and your host. Today I will be chatting with Elizabeth Barbin about the role of a speech-language pathologist. This episode is brought to you by Integrated Brain Centers. Located in Denver, Colorado, Drs. Shane Stedman and Perry Maynard are experts in functional neurology and treat complex concussion cases from around the country. With over 20 years of combined experience, they are leaders in helping patients who are suffering from post-concussion symptoms, including dizziness, vertigo, headaches, dysautonomia, and more. For your free consultation, you can find them online at integratedbraincenters.com. Hello, I am Amy Zalmer, and you are listening to Faces of TBI, a podcast series for survivors by survivors, raising awareness about traumatic brain injury one podcast at a time. Those of you who might not know who I am, I am a TBI survivor from a fall on the ice in February of 2014. I am a frequent contributor to the Huffington Post, Thrive Global, and the Goodman Project, and I'm author of Life with a Traumatic Brain Injury, Finding the Road Back to Normal, available on Amazon. Additionally, I am editor-in-chief of the Brain Health Magazine, and you can get your free digital subscription at thebrainhealthmagazine.com. You can learn more about me and the podcast at facesoftbi.com, and you can follow me on Instagram at Amy Zellmer, and I invite you to join my private Facebook, Amy's TBI Tribe, to connect with other survivors, caregivers, and loved ones. Today's guest is Elizabeth or Liz Barbin. She's a speech-language pathologist at Northeast Rehabilitation Hospital Network in Portsmouth, New Hampshire. Since joining the organization nearly 10 years ago, she's helped thousands of individuals who have experienced changes in their voice, speech, language, cognition, and swallowing as a result of an acute acquired brain injury due to, a tra- due to traumatic and non-traumatic causes, as well as progressive neurodegenerative conditions such as Parkinson's disease. Liz provides custom care for each individual based on their unique circumstances. She's a contributing member of the organization's Stroke Core team and was the lead facilitator for the hospital stroke support group for more than five years. Liz earned her Master of Science in Communication Sciences and Disorders from the University of New Hampshire and is a certified brain injury specialist and a registered modified barium swallow study clinician. Before finding her way to speech therapy, she received a Bachelor of Fine Arts in Acting from the Hart School of Music, University of Hartford. Welcome to the podcast, Liz. I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you for having me, Amy, and for all the work that you're doing. I really appreciate this opportunity to speak with you today. Yeah. Well, <laughs> let's start off, Liz, by asking you how you came to work in the brain injury world, especially now hearing that you have your bachelor's in acting. <laughs> <laughs> I know it certainly. Yeah, it sounds a little fancier, um, and, I, and I'm just <laughs> noticing too. I grew up in Michigan, Amy, and my Midwestern accent is going to come out speaking with you today. <laughs> um, but 
Let me begin by just kind of explaining how I found my way to the field of speech-language pathology. So growing up, I really enjoyed singing. I took voice lessons. Um, as you heard in the introduction, I studied acting. Later, I began working with children who had communication challenges. Um, fast forward to when I was in graduate school, um, I ended up requiring a week-long hospital stay for a perforated bowel, um, and at that point, I gained some understanding, you know, of the patient's perspective of being in an acute hospital as it relates to the challenges with sleeping, you know, being hungry because I wasn't allowed to be eating solid food, um, and communicating, kind of waiting when was the doctor going to come in so I could ask them, you know, am I leaving today? Or um, So it wasn't until I was in graduate school that I gained experience working with adults with acquired brain injuries, and just everything aligned that it just felt like a really great fit. I find the brain to be fascinating. Um, I find people intriguing. As you can see, I love communicating, um, and, you know, I feel um, it feels great to be helpful um, in coaching people to navigate through a challenging time in their lives. Um, and so even though I'm often tired at the end of the day, I do still feel quite energized about this career. And, you know, I've been grateful to be in the inpatient division of Northeast Rehabilitation Hospital here in New Hampshire now for over 10 years. Yeah, well, that's wonderful. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, I think what I want to ask you next is to just define the role of a speech-language pathologist because I think, you know, people are often sent to a speech-language pathologist not necessarily for speech problems. Um, and they're like, mm -hmm. why, would I go, why would I go there? Um, so maybe define mm -hmm. the role or the spectrum of things that you deal with. Yeah, absolutely. Sure. So, I mean, this is a conversation I have every day. <laughs> you know, I always start with explaining what it is that I do. So it's not uncommon that when I go to meet someone for the first time, they, they ask, why do I have speech therapy? I talk just fine. Um, you know, and sometimes that's true. Um, when it's not, we certainly can work on improving voice and speech. Um, you know, for example, sometimes, especially when it's more of a severe injury, it might be improving breath support or helping someone to figure out uh, how, how to move from whispering to actually turning on their voice. Um, we might work on improving speech clarity. Uh, and, and sometimes we work on using pitch. <coughs> And volume and speech rate. Um, so, you know, I always ask, have you noticed any changes with your voice or your speech? Um, those are the most obvious. Um, so, because the mouth and the throat are shared systems, both for talking and chewing and swallowing, um, this is another area that a speech-language pathologist would address. Uh, when a traumatic brain injury is more severe, and someone's been unconscious or medically sedated, uh, when they've had a breathing tube and a feeding tube, uh, SLPs can help support them in returning to eating and drinking safely and efficiently again. So that's another area that we would address when necessary. And then depending on you know, whether a traumatic brain injury is more localized or spread out, the effects on language will be different. So when someone has a more concentrated injury, um, for example, is, is 
the case with, say, a penetrating injury, uh, and, and it would be to the left hemisphere of the brain for most of us, um, we would anticipate to see changes with language. This would be with verbal expression, uh, spoken language comprehension, reading and writing. And the medical term for this is aphasia. And sometimes it's a clear-cut aphasia. Um, However, with a closed head injury, which is more common, um, there are the rapid forward and backward and rotational forces on the brain moving inside the skull. And this tends to have more of a widespread kind of an impact. So the communication changes then are more intertwined with cognitive processes like processing speed, attention, memory, uh, organization, and continuity of thoughts, and awareness both of oneself and others. So, and at the same time, we need to be aware of how factors like, you know, pain and hunger and sensory changes and anxiety and depression can interfere with the ability to access these higher level uh, cognitive and communication um, functions as well. So oftentimes I do think it is uh, more of a cognitive rehabilitation um, that, that people are seeking services for. Yeah, and <clears throat> excuse me, I have this frog in my throat today. Um, <laughs> no problem. Uh, you understand of all people. I do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, you know, and talking about aphasia, um, there is a range of aphasia, right? So I had a lot of, like, I couldn't come up with the right word. Like, the totally wrong word would just come out of my mouth. It'd be close, but it wouldn't be the right word. Um, and then there can be the more extreme where it's sort of just nonsensical words coming out of the person's mouth. Um you know, how, how do you go about working with folks with aphasia? Like, um, what are some of the ways that you try to help folks? Sure. Yeah, so, um, you know, we would start out by trying to sort out, like you uh, sort of suggested there is, you know, what, what type of an aphasia do they have? Um, in very general terms, there can be a, more of a non-fluent uh, kind of an aphasia where, um, the person says very little. It's hard for them to get the words out. And then on the opposite extreme, we can have people have uh, very fluent speech, but the words that they're stringing together uh, don't really make sense together. So you're really trying to sort out what are, what are they actually trying to communicate to me here because it seems very clear that they know what they're trying to say, but mm -hmm. I just don't know. Um, so depending, you know, I mean, the goals are going to be different. Um, and then certainly, you know, we got to take a look at how does this impact them in their ability to communicate. Since I'm in the inpatient rehabilitation, you know, setting, um, I tend to have more of a focus on can this person communicate their, you know, medical needs, their basic needs um, to, you know, staff here, to the doctors, to the nurses. Can they communicate and follow instructions as it relates to being able to participate in their therapies with physical therapy and occupational therapy? Um, and as much as possible, we always want to engage, you know, the, their primary care partner whether it's, you know, a spouse or um, a child or, um, you know, whomever that is for them to find out, you know, what's important to them, what kinds of things do they want to, you know, be able to talk about. Um, and, and, you know, this would depend on what they, 
what what their life looks like. Um, so and there's and there's a number of different approaches that we can utilize. Um, sometimes it's a direct training of, for example, trying to come up with a word, and learning uh, training some strategies for you know trying to get to the right word. Um, but it really just depends on you know what the goals are for that individual. Yeah, I know for me, uh, I didn't even notice my aphasia in the beginning. Um, like I said, just totally random word would come out. Um, mm-hmm. Like, you know, I called my my friend had a black lab, and I was like, oh, yeah, for Dalmatian. And they just looked mm-hmm. at me like, what? Um, mm-hmm. You know, it was close. It was a dog. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you know, and for me, um, I did a lot of public speaking and training. At the time, I was a photographer, and I just remember, like, the technical terms. I could not come up with them. Mm. I'd be in the middle of giving a talk, and all of a sudden that word wouldn't be there. And I mm-hmm. kind of had to learn how to talk around it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Fortunately, a lot of it has come back. There's still mm-hmm. times when I'm like, I don't know the word I'm looking for. <laughs> you know? But at least mm-hmm. now I'm very aware of it. Um, but it can be it can be really, really frustrating. Um, especially for the more severe individuals. Um, I, I just remember, I have a cute story. I was at a, a TBI clubhouse, and this woman was so excited to meet me, and she was in a wheelchair, and she came up, and she clearly couldn't come up with the word. And I kept trying to help her, and <laughs> it was so cute. She was a sweet little lady. She goes, God damn it. <laughs> And mm-hmm. I was like, well, she came up with that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was really cute. She just couldn't get the word. And yeah, it, yeah. You just feel so bad. Absolutely. Yeah, no, and it's interesting that you mentioned that, too, because it is uh, oftentimes those, uh, the four, the four-letter words that um, do come out quite easily, yes. and I don't know, you know, if that's because it's so strongly, you know, associated with, like, emotion, yeah. Um, uh-huh. but, yeah, they, those tend to find their way out. Yeah, yeah, it was really cute because she was just this sweet little old lady in a wheelchair. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, so let's talk about, um, I know swallowing, you know, is another really mm-hmm. big part of what you help folks with. Um, mm-hmm. I, didn't, I, I didn't necessarily have trouble with swallowing, but at the same time, I do know I choked on air quite more frequently than normal. <laughs> um, <laughs> so <clears throat> let's, why don't you address um, the swallowing component of, of helping people. Certainly, certainly. So this is something that, you know, typically um, speech-language pathologists are going to become involved at the uh, acute hospital stage for the most part um, because that's at the time when, again, it's often more of a severe injury where we would expect that the swallowing might become involved. Um, but that's when someone's going to be starting to eat, and if, if they're having difficulty, hopefully some, it's going to be on someone's radar. Um, Mm -hmm. So initially what we'll do is come in and do what we call clinical swallow evaluation. And so during that, we're giving various liquid consistencies and food textures to see how does the person manage. Um, Are they able to, um, you know, chew and swallow efficiently and safely? Or are we seeing signs, um, you know, that they're, 
you know, number one, not paying attention to the food in their mouth or that they're, you know, coughing a lot, which would, you know, make us suspect that things are not going down the right pipe. Um, and then we're also going to be looking at eating behaviors like, you know, is this person um, aware of the fact that they have a lot in their mouth still and they're going to take multiple bites? Yeah. Um, you know, sort of this lack of awareness. Um, or do they just kind of sit there and you have to say, you can take a bite? You know, do you want a bite? Let's take a bite. <laughs> um, so some of those kinds of behaviors are commonly, you know, um, on our radar as well. So when we do suspect that there is a safety um, issue potentially, or, you know, that their airway could be compromised, um, what we like to do is a modified barium swallow study. Um, the other term for it is a video fluoroscopy. Um, and during that, it's the same idea in terms of we're giving various liquid consistencies and food textures, but we are um, we, we have the food and the liquid, um, there's barium inside so that we can see it on a, a video x-ray. So um, during, during that chewing and swallowing, then we're able to get more uh, objective findings to what is actually happening. Does something go down the wrong pipe? Um, and in the moment, try some potentially some positional um, changes. You know, sometimes maybe it's looking down, tucking the chin, um, or is there a certain strategy that we want to try? Like, hey, can you try and swallow really hard this time, and let's see if if that doesn't help things move down with more force potentially. Um, or, you know, I'm going to have you take in a deep breath and hold your breath, and then now try and swallow to see if that doesn't help close off the airway for the swallow. So, you know, once we've got that information, then that kind of helps us move forward in terms of are we going to be working on strengthening muscles, um, you know, and trying to get some rewiring happening with the nerves that are involved? Um, are we going to be training some what we'd call compensatory strategies, uh, which sounds real fancy, but it's mostly, you know, like, okay, I want you to, you know, take one bite, use your tongue to clear all the food out of your mouth, and then take a swallow with a drink, you know, um, whatever it is that we've determined is going to help this person essentially be able to eat and drink um, more safely and more efficiently. And then the other piece of this, too, is that sometimes it does require us to make a, uh, potentially make a recommendation for um, avoiding certain textures that look like they kind of pose more risk, you know, for choking or for, um, you know, what we would call aspiration, something going down the wrong pipe. Um, and so we like to have that conversation, you know, with, with the patient, with the family, um, to make sure that they are able to make an informed decision about how do they want to move forward. Um, so it, with, with the goal being then that we want to help progress them from a modified food, modified um, liquid texture uh, or consistency to, you know, being able to eat and drink whatever they want again. Yeah, and the, that whole idea of, you know, do they just keep putting too much food in their mouth, right? Mm-hmm. Or ha- are they just not simply chewing it? Um, I mm-hmm. know I had a friend, she had a re- she could not, like, talk and eat, right? She had to very much concentrate on mm-hmm. eating because otherwise she wouldn't chew it. She would literally just, mm-hmm. like, go and swallow it. Um, mm-hmm. And it's so fascinating how brain injuries affect things like that, right? Like just the simple fact that we're not thinking about eating. Because, I mean, it is a pretty automated task, right, Mm -hmm. eating. Mm -hmm. Um, 
So it is, it's just fascinating how our brains <laughs> work or don't work after brain injury. Right. Right. Yeah, it's definitely a practice in mindful eating, right? And it's something that so many of us are guilty of, right? Myself included. I take working lunches, you know. So, um, yeah, to to be mindful while eating is a challenge for most, I find, Mm -hmm. whether you've had an injury to your brain or not. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like you said, you probably eat at your desk or you're working while you're eating and you're just kind of mindlessly scarfing it down. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, what else would you like to talk about? What other aspects of speech therapy? Sure, absolutely. Um, so, you know, a lot of what we do, too, is I think it could fall under the umbrella of what we would call cognitive rehabilitation. Um, so the goal of cognitive rehabilitation is to help the person who has the TBI um, to be able to function in a way that is safe Um, that helps them to be productive and efficient and allows them to function as independently as possible. Um, So, you know, ideally this is a dynamic collaborative process that involves identifying and uh, training the use of various strategies that best fit the person's needs and then helping them progress from, you know, maybe needing cues and coaching from others to be successful to ultimately being able to self-monitor and evaluate their performance uh, and then make these appropriate adjustments as needed. So, um, (laughs) you know, a lot of what we do now is take a look at, you know, for example, how does somebody use their um, smartphone to help them keep track of all of the details of Mm -hmm. their life? Um, And, you know, more and more, I've only been here at Northeast Rehab for, I don't know, right around 10 years, a little bit more. Um, And I've seen increased use of uh, smartphones amongst um, the the older population, I'll say, Um, whereas previously Mm -hmm. uh, more folks were saying, oh, no, I don't don't use a cell phone, whereas now, you know, they do. (laughs) And they can get on Facebook and show me pictures of their grandkids. And um, so, you know, for example, while people are here, um, maybe it's that there's there's adjustments being made to uh, certain medications or there's new medications that they're on um, and someone's having a harder time keeping track of this. So we might use, um, you know, an app in their phone. It could be the notes app. Um, it could be their medical ID, actually, that's um, in the, uh, comes in the Apple iPhones um, to put in, you know, what medication they're on and um, that way they can, and then training them in, in terms of like accessing it to be able to use it to help them when they need to remember, you know, um, what what is my list of medications? Uh, what was the mm-hmm. name of that medication? I couldn't quite remember it, right? Um, or, for example, you know, using the calendar app and being able to set up the alert function for appointments. Um, a lot of, um, well, I, I should ask you, uh, but um, it seems that a lot of people have difficulties um, after a brain injury remembering to complete tasks in the future. Um, did you ever experience that? Tasks in the future. What do oh, you mean? Like getting, things, getting things done, things on your to-do list, like, oh, i got to remember to do this well, later. I mean, oh, that's an interesting question. Um, <laughs> I, I would have to-do lists, but the problem was if that list got covered up or set aside or put in a drawer, 
I forget it existed mm-hmm. and therefore yeah. never do any of the tasks. So, yeah, 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 that was a struggle. Yeah. So it seems like, you know, a lot, uh, and this is something that everybody that, that does sometimes, right? But um, it seems to happen with more frequency um, after someone's had a, a traumatic brain injury. Um, so for something, you know, if if you decide, you know, you want to make yourself a, an appointment to remember to do something, or even the Reminders mm-hmm. app has this function too, where you can you can put in a reminder and set the the date and the time for when you want it to go off. Um, you know, it, so so we would maybe potentially pick an app and and um, test it out and see did it work, <laughs> and if yes, then wonderful, my work here is done. But you know, nine times out of ten, it doesn't, and so we got to try to kind of go back to the drawing board. Why didn't it work? What do we need to do differently? Um, and how can we help this person be more successful with being as independent as possible, managing their their life? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, talking about you know, putting the alert, like for my to-do list, putting it in my phone. Um, I, so I have, you know, the notes app, right? And you can make mm-hmm. a checklist in there. Mm-hmm. That was useless to me at the time. Um, mm-hmm. Again, you put your mm-hmm. phone away and you forget it's there. And alerts mm-hmm. were so-so. Um, mm-hmm. if, I, if I was free and could do it in that moment, it was great. Mm-hmm. But otherwise, the alert would go off and then I'd forget all about it again. Um, mm-hmm. It was a really interesting, like three to four years with that with that yeah. short term memory stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And there's even, I mean, there's some um, apps out there that will they'll continue to nag you. <laughs> they'll keep going yeah. off after a minute until you respond <laughs> to try to help with you know getting that task done. Um, yeah, but yep. I, I think what you're saying is common. Yeah, it it yeah, super challenging. Um, mm-hmm. I had a thought and I lost it. See, um, oh, no <laughs> live action. <laughs> um, yeah. All right. So, so what else, Liz? Um, we've got just a few minutes left. Do you have another topic you sure. want to kind of address? Uh, you know, I mean, I think education, um, especially at this, again, talking about my, my own personal experience of working in the inpatient rehabilitation um, setting, um, trying to provide as much education as possible, whether mm-hmm. it's to the person who's actually had the tra- uh, traumatic brain injury or, um, you know, their, their loved ones. Um, because I think, you know, people's heads are just swimming dealing with the fact that so much has changed. Um, we try to, you know, we provide um, educational information, and I, I, I am a big fan of providing things in writing um, because, you know, oftentimes we can tell someone something, um, but for any number of reasons, um, it may just not land, um, or maybe it's just not the right time for someone to hear some information. So if yeah. we can. Um, at least provide some information, some tools for uh, and resources um, for family members and, and the person with the TBI to help at least guide them into the future. Um, I think that's just really important. It's a lot of what we do here too. Um, and the other piece too is really coaching family on, um, you know, letting them know that maybe what they're seeing and what they're experiencing with their loved one is. Um, not surprising 
to us, you know, yeah, it's, it's to yeah. be expected under the circumstances um, and, you know, not to take things personally that we can kind of say this isn't, this isn't your loved one saying that. It's the brain injury talking right now um, because it, it can feel uh, very personal sometimes when someone's behaving in a way that's yeah. unexpected. Um, and so we'll we'll do some training too with you know different communication types of strategies, and not just what to say or what maybe it's what not to say or what uh, saying less, and um, being much more aware of how we say things and what our body language might be communicating. Um, so we try to do a lot of that kind of education and coaching with family as well. Well, Liz, thank you so much. This has been such a wonderful conversation, lots of uh, really great information. Um, I do want to wrap up by asking you, you know, what are your final thoughts? What are your final words of wisdom um, for someone mm. listening today? Thank you, Amy. It's really been a pleasure to speak with you today. Um, so I would say that, especially when it comes to cognitive training, I want your listeners to be thinking about the principles of neuroplasticity, which is kind of a fancy mm -hmm. term. And if you're not familiar with it, go Google it. But this really should be top of mind when you're working on um, your cognitive re recovery. Um, the best therapy targets are motivating and meaningful. They're functional to you and they're specific. Training needs to be repetitive and intensive. Um, the sayings are, you know, use it or lose it, use it to improve it. Right. The neurons that fire together, wire together. So um, you know, there's lots of fancy things out there. Um, but at the end of the day, you just want to make sure that whatever you're doing um, comes back to these principles of neuroplasticity. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much for being here today. And if folks want to learn more, um, they can visit your website. It's northeast rehab.com and there is a clickable link in the show notes wherever you are listening um, so again thank you Liz for being here sharing today thank you so much Amy and thank you everyone for listening I hope you enjoyed today's episode another big thank you to our sponsor Integrated Brain Centers find them online for your free consultation at integratedbraincenters.com and just a reminder, you can find previous episodes on most streaming platforms, such as iTunes or Spotify, or directly at facesoftbi.com. And you can follow me on Instagram at Amy Zellmer. And just another reminder to join Amy's TBI Tribe on Facebook. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please consider supporting it for $5 a month with a Patreon membership. Or... Um, simply leave a five-star review wherever you're listening. And thank you again for listening. Thank you so much for being a part of my journey. Have a great day, everyone, and I'll see you in the next episode. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun, Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.